0: Thank you for joining us here at Crossword Church for this week's message. Our desire is to see people's lives transform as they develop an authentic relationship with Jesus. We would like to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So take a moment and visit us online at mycrosswordchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope you enjoyed today's message. And so today, today, we're going to talk to the husbands. Everybody say the husbands. And his responsibility to the wife. His posture is one of loving and serving leadership. Paul says in verse 19, Colossians 3, he says, Husband, love your wives and never entreat them harshly. So what about the role for the husband? Paul says that they should love their wives. Now, it should be known that in... The ancient context, this was a very radical statement. It literally pushed against the norm of society in the day. Because in the Jewish and Greek culture, the woman had very little rights in relationship. She was literally viewed as a piece of property that's designed and meant to serve the husband. Therefore, Paul's teaching ran against the influence of Jewish and Greek society. The husband was commanded to love his wife, which was very radical. Ephesians described the way or what it looked like for the husband to love his wife. He is called to love her like Christ loves the church. So, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. This is a very familiar passage of Scripture. And my prayer is that last week that we really gave some biblical context to the role of women. Because for many of us, we've been around church and we've seen how that passage of scripture uh, have been taken out of context to beat up on women. And so Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse beginning at verse 20, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her, this is the reason, this is why, this is the why. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with, wor- with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church. Without stain or wrinkle. Or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way husbands are to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife. Loves himself. You know, there are several characteristics that we're going to see in this passage. As Paul begins to talk to the husbands. The husband should have a realistic love. So number one, the husband's love must be realistic. What do I, what do I mean by that? The husband should love his wife in a realistic way, it means that he should not have fantasies about the woman that he is about to marry or the woman that he, he has married. Christ loved the church and died for the church while we were still enemies of God, according to Romans 5.8. See, because so many times what we do is, in culture is we get our references from the world. We get our references from our friends. We get our references from romance novels. And we get our references from Hollywood of what our relationship should be. And if, if the husband is not careful, he will start have some fantasies that he has built up in his, in his imagination about how his wife is supposed to be. And what she's supposed to be. And what she's supposed to do. And literally what will happen is he starts setting up in the marriage structure the formula for his wife failing. Because he's trying to put her against a fantasy that is not realistic. It is something that is born out of a worldly carnal desire. And what it does, it starts focusing on her faults versus her strengths. And so little conversations like, you know, you should be more like sister so-and-so. Or my mom used to do so-and-so for my dad. Or my sister used to be like so-and-so with her husband. And all of a sudden, he's creating all these expectations of his wife that there's no way she can meet. We must love our wives realistically. Christ knew that the church was sinful and disobedient. <laughs> Yet he gave his life for her, knowing her false. His love was realistic. In a marriage, both mates should understand this reality. And just as the, the husband must have a realistic view of the wife, so also must the wife have a realistic view of the husband. This is why premarital counseling is so vital. This is why it's so important. Because what it does, it it literally resets the understanding of marriage. And then lets it become in line with the biblical understanding of marriage. And let the word and the spirit frame our understanding of what the marriage relationship should be. The husband must... Love her realistically. This woman has been infected and affected by sin just as the man. I'm going to say that again. The person that you are marrying or you have married has been infected and affected by sin. And so have you. And so for us to have an unrealistic expectation is for us to not understand the power that sin has in the unredeemed life. hmm The woman, she must be reformed, speaking to the husband, daily by God's word and his grace. She must be loved through her faults. This is what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4. He says, love covers a multitude of sin. So the first point here is that husbands must love their wives realistically. Number two, husbands must love there was sacrificially, sacrificially. He's to love her as Christ loves the church by being willing to die for her. Now I'm going to stop here and make a make an insert because sometimes we can get in church and we we can become so over spiritualized. There is a difference with dying to ourselves daily. Amen. That's a spiritual debt that we're dying to ourselves. But how many know when Jesus went to Gethsemane, he didn't posture himself and he said, Okay, now, Father, I'm about to die for the church. Here I go. I'm, I'm dying for the church. And then all of a sudden, the work was done. How many know he had to physically? <laughs> oh, Jesus. He had to physically go through the process and died for the church. And so, just in case it might seem unfair to some wives regarding the role, I want us to really make sure we understand the role of the husband. See, it's much easier for us to submit to someone than to die for someone. I'm going to say that again. It's much easier for me to submit to you than die for you. Because yes, the husband is called to die and the wife is called to die spiritually. But husbands, are you willing to lay down your life physically for your wife? Hmm. This love that the husband have must be embodied by the grace of God. It can only be embodied by the grace of God. To love sacrificially means that the husband um, must at times give up the things that he desires in order to serve his wife. There are some things that we must be willing to lay down for our wives. He must be willing to sacrifice for her. Sometimes time, sometimes entertainment, friendships, Uh, Whatever it it may be, even sometimes career. And what I mean by career is sometimes husbands, uh, men, we can find ourselves so engrossed in our work that we don't pay the necessary attention to our wives. And so we must be willing and able to balance that and to love our wives sacrificially. Because sometimes you might not feel like she is deserving of your love today. Sometimes she may have done something that you have talked with her about, and she said that she would correct, and then here she goes doing it again. But how many know every time we're we're pointing outward, there's other fingers pointing inward, right? And so we have to understand what it means to love sacrificially. I might not want to forgive her today. And without me being filled with the grace of God, guess what, church? I do not have the capacity to forgive her today. And that's one of the challenges in many marriages. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to operate in a spiritual union in a fleshly way. And so when we should be able to forgive, we can't. Because we don't have the reservoir of God's grace and love operating in our lives. And we're drawing from an overdrawn account... In our own lives. And so that's where we need to go to the the cross of Calvary and to be able to get a new and fresh endowment of grace. Number three, the husband must love his wife purposely. Christ's love makes the church holy by cleansing her with the word. Christ's purpose is to make her the perfect bride. Similarly, husbands must love his wife through teaching her the scriptures, getting her involved in serving in a local church, getting her involved in a local community. It is the husband's responsibility to make sure that he's taking time to wash his wife with the word. Why is that important? Because every day she gets up and she goes into a world and the world is bent on Covering her with all kinds of stuff and all of a sudden she comes back home and she has some self-doubt on her and she has some fear on her and she has some insecurities on her and, and her boss or her supervisor has told her things that are contrary and she has words that has been spoken over her. And it's the husband's responsibility that when she walks into the house, he says, hold on, baby. And he gets the word and he begins to wash all of those things off of her. He begins to tell her who she is in Christ so that she understands that she's covered. See, he must seek to cultivate not only her character. Listen, listen, church. But also her calling so that she can fulfill God's plan for her life. Sometimes it's been taught that, you know, all the woman is called to do is to be the helpmate so that the husband can fulfill his calling. And yes, she helps him fulfill his calling. But how many know that God also has a calling for the wife? And so the husband, if the husband is insecure in who he is, he will not take the necessary time nor have the wisdom to help cultivate the calling of his wife. And so sometimes we can focus on externals. Let's get the character right. Let's get the attitude right. And that's important. But let's also make sure that we understand that she has a calling. And let's do what we need to do as men to help facilitate the growth of our wives and the callings that God has for them. He must discern her gifts and her talents and then encourage her to use them for the glory of God. This, this love must also be willing to admonish her at times, correcting her in love so that she will continue to know what it means to follow Jesus and be more like him. It is purposeful. It is practical. It is powerful. This love that God is calling husbands to is called the unconditional love that we see in Jesus. Every man should consider if he's ready and willing to love a woman in this way. Getting married. Is he really ready to be a spiritual leader? Because we live in a culture where getting married is hip. It sounds good, but we have to understand from a biblical perspective, what is the role and the responsibility from God's perspective when it comes to marriage? Because God is calling the the husband into a posture of loving and serving leadership. It means that sometimes I don't feel like I want to get up and pray early in the morning, but because I'm 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 loving and I'm serving and I'm leading, my sacrifice to my wife is to get up at four o'clock in the morning, and that my wife can hear uh, my her husband uh, encountering God, engaging God for wisdom, and what will happen is she will start getting a sense of um, a fulfillment and strength, knowing that her husband is not making decision out of his own experiences out of his own unnatural understanding but because she knows that her husband is hearing from God she hears him praying early in the morning she sees him studying the word of the Lord she sees him giving generously and he is literally leading her from a spiritual perspective and covering her it's quiet in this sanctified church But number four, the husband's love must be personal. It must be personal. He must love her as his own body. Every day, the husband brushes his teeth, right? He combs his hair. He puts on his clothing. Some husbands, uh, they're so orderly that they do their planning the night before. Every day, he maintains his body. And sadly, we often go for days without maintaining our marriages, go for days without checking in, go for days without discerning when our wives have had difficulty and they're struggling in their minds and in their hearts because we're so focused on ourselves. This is the call of the husband. It is very easy to get so busy in life and in ministry that we allow the weeds to start to grow up in the garden of our homes. We, we allow weeds to start to grow up in the garden of our marriages. And all of a sudden, responses and attitudes start happening and, and it kind of takes us aback because we don't, we don't know how and why this is happening. Because we've been living without discerning. What's going on? Husbands, submission and authority in marriage are ugly words today in society. <laughs> However, there should be no issue with submission when somebody loves like this. When the husband have learned what it means to humble himself before the hand of God. And understands what it means to sacrifice for his wife in prayer and in the pursuit of the will of God for his family. When he has learned what it means to to labor tirelessly, to see that the values of God is established. And that his children understand what it means to walk in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And he loves her like Christ loves the church. So, someone might ask, Pastor, what what happens when a man loves and serves God, but he has a wife that does not want to submit? I'm glad you asked that. You know, should he demand submission? Should he become embittered because she's not doing what the word says? Absolutely not. Paul commands the husband, never entreat them harshly in verse 19 he should let the love of god flow through his life and allow that love to minister to the heart that has grown callous and cold maybe by sin or by pain He should allow the love of God to flow through him and melt that stony heart of his wife. He should love her unconditionally. Like 1 Corinthians 13. So what about the woman? What about the woman? What if the woman is serving God? What if she's loving God with all? But she has a man who is not loving her and is not seeking to provide spiritual leadership in the home. What should she do? She should continue to submit to him. (laughs) She should pray for him. She should love him. She should gently encourage him in the role of leadership and she should absolutely not nag him. She should let Her pure conduct, godly conduct and prayers minister to his heart according to 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. And I know some of you are right there or some of you may know of a scenario like this. This is what I want you to know. Prayer changes everything. It may not change when we want it to. Sometimes we're praying for things and it seems as though God has forgotten. Because not only has days passed, but weeks have passed. And months have passed. And years have passed. And for some, even decades have passed. But for over 400 years, the children of Israel cried out to their God. And they thought he had forgotten about him, about them. And Joseph was locked away in the dungeon. And he thought that God had forgotten about him. But if you know the rest of the story, you know that God provided the deliverer for the children of Israel. And that Joseph was elevated to a place of authority. God is faithful concerning his word. He's not slack concerning his promises. And so if you have a spouse and they're not really in the vein that the Bible is saying what pastor is saying today, lock into the spirit and don't waver in faith because there are too many testimonies in the Bible and in life that says that God will perform his word. Jesus. He's ministering right now in the name of Jesus. So, what about the children? The children have a responsibility too. The children's responsibility to their parents. Their posture is one of willing and respectful obedience. Jesus. Paul says, Paul says in verse 20, children always obey your parents. Why? Because this pleases the Lord. Two words here, always (laughs) and pleases. Pastor, you really mean always? I'm going to say yes, the word really mean always. And if we do the parallel, if we look at the parallel scripture in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 and 2, He says it like this. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. So the next uh, relationship that should be affected as a result of our new identity in Christ is the parent-child relationship. So we should answer the question first and foremost, you know, who is this really written for? The word children does not refer to any particular age group, but this is what is inferred here. It refers to the child that's living at home under the parental guidance. It's someone that's living under the parental guidance of the parents. Amen. They are living, they are living still at home and they're being provided for by the parents then this word would apply to them. The reason Paul gives for obedience is to please the Lord. That's the reason. This is why you should obey, because it pleases the Lord. Because here's the thing. Christian children, godly children, that have a relationship with God, should not be found being disobedient to their children, to their, to their parents, I'm going to say that again. Godly children should not be found being disobedient to their parents. That's the standard. How many know we go way beyond the standard so many times? But this is what we need to make sure we do as a church. Let's not look at the culture as the standard. Oh, Jesus, it's it's always easier to look at the culture as the standard because the culture, the standard of the culture is always lower than the standard of God. And so if we start sitting back and saying, well, you know, pastor, that sounds real religious and true, but we know how things are. Then what we're doing is we're giving ourselves a pass. And what we have to do is not give ourselves a pass, but we need to hold our life and our lifestyle up to the standard of the world. Of of the word, because we know that God is not lowering his standard. Hmm. In Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 30, the New Living Standard says, and he's talking about. A pagan society. <laughs> and he said. Since. They thought it foolish to acknowledge God. He. God abandoned them to their foolish thinking. And let them do things that they. Sh- that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wit- wicked, wickedness. Sin. Greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and the gossip. Verse 30 says, they are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. And I want you to draw your attention to the last line. It says, and they disobey their parents. This is why we cannot sit back and accept our our children being disobedient because that's a behavior pattern of the pagan world system. Mm. Paul says that children that children disobeying their parents makes a world where people deny and disobey God. If a child does not obey his parents in everything and recognizes their authority, then the child would not recognize other authorities. If a person never learns obedience in everything at home, he or she will struggle with disobedience at, for the rest of their lives. A child must, who is disobedient to his parents will also be disobedient to authorities. They will disobey their teachers, their bosses, the law. They'll disobey the word, which is God's ultimate authority. Romans 13.1 and 2 says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authority, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And consequently, whoever rebels against the authorities rebelling against what God has instituted. <laughs> and those who do so will bring, watch this, judgment on themselves. This, this is the word. This is the word. This is the word. The importance of obedience to period, period, uh, I'm sorry, to parents is found and seen greatly in the new, uh, the new, the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 20, verse 12, it says, honor your father and your mother so that you may live in the land the Lord your God is giving you. The importance of this commandment is seen in the drastic consequences that is promised to those who broke, break the commandments. In the old covenant, obedience to parents was the foundation of all authority. And disobedience was strictly punished. Let me just read a couple of consequences here. So in Exodus chapter 21, verse 17, it says, anyone who dishonors father or mother must be put to death. What? How about Proverbs? Let's listen to Solomon because we know Solomon is, you know, he is enlightened, right? Right. Proverbs 30, verse 17 says, the eye that mocks a father and despises a mother's instruction will be plucked out by the raven of the valley and eaten by the vultures. That's what the enlightened one has said. Right? Wow. Aren't you glad that you don't live under the old covenant? We, and it's good for us to be glad we don't live under the old covenant. But here's the thing. The principles of the old covenant still apply to us today. So not the practices, but the principles. <laughs> mm. See, when, when the child-parent relationship break down, it is detrimental to the rest of society. Therefore, a child's obedience to parents should be strongly enforced. I have been on the bus and have seen where the kids on the bus are literally ruling the bus. And people are sitting down, clenching their purses or clenching their bags. And the bus driver is seeing what's going on in the window, in the little mirror. And and he or she is just keeping their head straight. Why? Because there is a fear of engaging the children. And so, you know, what I would do when, that, when I saw that was just kind of tip on over and just begin having a conversation with the young person. Because if the kingdom does not influence culture, then culture will remain in chaos. The challenge is that the church is saying we have good news, but we won't ever share or demonstrate the good news in the culture. Because we are stricken by fear. And so you have a a people coming into a building, singing songs, looking and smiling at each other. But there is no power in this gospel that they're professing. When the kingdom comes, it should influence Oh my goodness, about two amens on that. When the kingdom comes, Jesus says this. Repent. Change the way you think, Matthew 3. Because the kingdom has arrived. And then he started demonstrating what the influence of the kingdom looked like. He started interrupting, disrupting stuff. He started invading situations and areas. Jesus... When we look at the world today and everybody's talking about what's going on with the children, I'm taking a step back and I'm saying, what's going on in the home? I'm saying, what's going on in the marriage relationship? I'm saying, what's going on with the parent? And so as a church, we have to have uh, an intentional outreach to families, to marriages, to single moms and single dads. We have to be willing to give them better option, the God, the kingdom option to living. Okay, okay. So here's a caveat regarding the, 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 the child-parent relationship. Children should not obey anything that would cause them to violate the word of God or their conscience as, as a result to the word of God. Because, you know, sometimes, because people that don't understand authority and submission, they feel, you could have a parent that feel, that whatever I say, go. And whatever they may be saying may not go with God. Everybody tracking with me? Okay. Let's just get to this next part. The parent's responsibility to their children. So, The wife has a responsibility to the husband. The husband has a responsibility to the wife. The children has a responsibility to their parents. And the parents has a responsibility to the children. Their posture is one of loving and disciplined mentorship. (laughs) Fathers, he calls out the fathers. He says, fathers, do not aggravate your children. Or they will become discouraged. This is verse 21. The the New King James says, do not provoke your children. The NIV says, do not embitter your children. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Rather, this is now, if uh, if you were to turn to uh, Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. By the way you entreat them. But rather bring them up in the discipline and instruction that come from the Lord. The NIV says, do not exacerbate your children. And he's addressing this relationship. Because he's saying, if if we exacerbate them, if we provoke them... And don't think that word um, f- don't think that word is just for fathers. It's also speaking to parents as a whole. If we provoke them, if we exacerbate them, they will become disheartened. The New Standard Bible said they will lose heart. They will become embittered. This is not simply referring to a child getting angry. That's inevitable. This has to do with provoking them to the point where now they develop deep-rooted hurts. Deep-rooted resentment. Deep-rooted scars that then cause them to Behave in a dysfunctional way because what the parents have done is created a mindset that has caused pain, and so, so now they operate out of that pain. See, there's so much here. There are ways that I can't go into today, but there's so many ways that we embitter our children. And God really wants us to understand how we are supposed to have that relationship. Let me just give you the points of how we can embitter our children. We embitter them by not disciplining them. Mm. The quickest way to embitter them when we don't discipline them is that they live a life that says, I don't ever get disciplined. And so when they run up against a situation or an authority that disciplines them, then they become bitter and they respond Out of that. Number two, parents embitter their children by abusing them or giving them improper disciplines. We don't have the time to drill down into that one. And really into any of these. Number three, we're taking notes. Parents embitter their children by neglecting them. Jesus. Number four, parents... Embitter their children by never encouraging them or showing them affection. It's always that you could do better. Come on. It's never an affirmation of a job well done. And the last one, parents embitter their children by showing favoritism towards other siblings. We will finish those up tomorrow, next week, and then we're going to talk about a God-centered church, God-centered ministry. What does that really look like? I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to each and every one of us, and he's calling us into living a God-centered life, church, Now, we can hear this word, and we can just keep on going and doing our own thing. Or we can hear this word and hear the Spirit of God saying, it's time to come up. It's time to live out what we've been talking out, what we've been teaching out, what we've been preaching out. Now, it's time to live it out. Stand with me. See, if we don't teach on topics, the world is going to counsel our kids on those topics. I'm going to say that again. If the church is not willing to deal with issues from a biblical perspective, the world will counsel our children. Statistics say that the Gen Xers... 4% 4% of them believe God is even relevant today. Majesty, come here for a second. This is why we really need to get this. This church that God is calling us to build, it's not about our preferences or what we think we like. God is calling us to build a church that's going to impact the next generation of people. S- see, she is 18. She's on the high end of the exers. So when you see her, and you see people like her and younger, 4%, the social scientists say, according to um, Barna Research Group, 4% of them believe God is even relevant anymore. So we can't come here and have church and look at one another and kind of just blissfully go through the tulips of just singing some songs. Because we got a generation, and guess what? The world is busy at work framing their mindset, reinforcing a pagan culture in them. And so unless they see a supernatural church with power, that's not afraid to deal with issues and not afraid to stretch out of comfort zones, they will walk away and go to some other place. There is one thing that we can say for sure. We're striving to make sure we're teaching truth in this house. Now, it's not the truth that you hear about that sets you free. It's the truth that you know, the truth that you walk in that sets you free. And so God is calling us for the sake of the children. Jesus went to Calvary. For the sake of the church. He's calling us to come up higher church. If there is not something going on in your soul. About the lostness of young people. If you're just kind of going through your day. You're doing your job. You're coming home. And you're watching Netflix. what? If you're just kind of going through the motions. I would encourage you or challenge you to re-examine your faith walk with God because he is desperately concerned for this generation. And it's not that we are irrelevant, but we have done a lot of things wrong that's causing them to be drifted. And so God is calling us to live a God-centered life before them. Do not be a Christian in the church And then in your house, they hear you cussing and swearing and drinking and smoking and doing all kinds of stuff. Because what you're doing is reinforcing the hypocrisy that they have already seen.